0: Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look
1: at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Mark Magnuson. Welcome to this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters, brought to you in part by the Iowa Soybean Association. I'm Mark Magnuson. Riley Smith, Dustin Huffman, and Russ Parker will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at the news headlines. The USDA's Economic Research Service released the 2022 edition of its America's Farms and Ranches at a Glance report. The report provides the latest statistics on U.S. farms, including production, financial performance, COVID-19 assistance, and farm household financial characteristics by farm size. Noah Miller, research agricultural economist with the ERS, said the numbers show that U.S. farming is still overwhelmingly a family business. 98%
2: of U.S. farms are family-owned and operated, and they accounted for over 80% of total value of production. Of these family farms, small family farms were the largest group, accounting for 89% of all farms and operating 45% of all agricultural land.
1: Miller said that many of the smaller farms are feeling some financial strain.
2: The share of farms with a low-risk operating profit margin, OPM, varied by farm size in 2021. 54% of large family farms had low-risk OPMs, while on average only 18 percent of small-scale farms fell in this category. This indicates that smaller farms are at higher risk of financial stress.
1: Despite that stress, Miller said that farm incomes remain strong.
2: Farm households in general are neither low-income nor low-wealth. The median total income of all U.S. family farm households was over $20,000 greater than the median income of all U.S. households, in 2021 with median total household income for all family farms increasing by over ten thousand dollars from the previous year
1: and as we are just about two weeks away from christmas the christmas tree industry wants americans to know there will be enough trees available to meet the demand for real christmas trees marcia gray executive director of the real christmas tree board says the industry met the demand in 2021 and will do so again this year this is a year with few surprises Gray also says their annual survey found that 86% of real Christmas tree buyers had no problems finding a nearby place to get their trees in 2021. Like many other sectors of U.S. agriculture, Christmas tree growers say their input costs have risen compared to last year. Consequently, many growers had a 5% to 15% increase in their wholesale prices compared to last year. That's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Check out the rest of our daily news stories on iowaagnet.com. We turn things over now to Russ Parker with his faith-based food for thought here on Weekend Ag Matters. I had the
3: opportunity to attend the Farmers Business Network Farmer to Farmer Conference in Omaha this week. One of their guest speakers was Jocko Willink, a podcaster, author, and retired Navy SEAL. His book titles include Extreme Ownership, Discipline Equals Freedom, and Leadership Strategy and Tactics. And while the contexts are steeped in real-world military life, the applications to life in general offer sound takeaways. One of the points Willink focused on was this statement, Burden is a gift. On the drive home from Omaha, I had some windshield time to think about this. My thoughts took me back to my teenage years and how often I was anxious about taking certain tests in high school. They made my stomach queasy. In this context, worry, I think, is a key component that is part of the definition of burden. And later in life, especially in my 30s and 40s, my thoughts were burdened with the topic of finances. I constantly worried about how the bills were going to be paid. And in my mind, I created scenarios of doom and gloom. My thoughts were definitely burdened. So back to Jocko's statements, how can a burden be a gift? In my case, although not clear at the time, hindsight definitely points to a positive outcome, even a life lesson. In high school, I now know those anxious moments created a discipline to study and prepare. Being anxious meant that I cared and wanted to do well. And with my finances, worry focused my attention on the necessity of my family's life at that time and created good spending habits, sound conservative financial planning, and kept me away from the urges to want it now and figure out how to pay for it later. Proof positive that burdens can be a gift. And while I was driving, it occurred to me that the most precious gift I have was also a result of a great burden. A burden described as the weight of the world's sin and the resulting death on the cross and resurrection that has provided the greatest gift for me. During this Advent season, while we prepare our burdened hearts for the birth of the Christ child, Perhaps this verse from Matthew will resonate with where our hearts might be. Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day.
1: Thank you, Russ. That's it for segment one on this week's episode. Coming up after this short break, Riley will bring us an interview with American Coalition for Ethanol CEO Brian Jennings. This is Weekend Ag Matters.
4: Every detail matters when building a winning game plan. That's why the Cyclones and Hawkeyes rely on better, cleaner now biodiesel to power their team buses on game days. Delivering success on the field, in the field, and in the environment. Make biodiesel part of your game plan by visiting iasoybeans.com. Biodiesel. Request it. Grow it. Use it. This message brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and the Soybean Checkoff.
0: Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith.
4: We are down in kansas city for the nefb convention trade talk session and we are here with the american coalition for ethanol ceo brian jennings uh, first off brian big thing's been the renewable fuel standard uh, you know what's some information that you have on on the future of that and, and what we can expect to see soon
5: so the rfs enacted by congress uh specified volumes through 2022 but for 2023 calendar year and beyond EPA has a lot more discretion to determine those volumes and one of the things we're looking for Riley is EPA is set to put out their proposal for 2023 and probably the 2024 calendar year at the end of November is to be on guard for mismanagement to be on the on guard for making sure those volumes are robust after all this program has been badly mismanaged in the past by under both democratic and republican administrations there have been certain waivers and detours taken with the renewable fuel standard that have really undermined our abil- ability to to really move beyond E10 with E15 and E85 so what we're looking for is robust volumes uh 15 billion gallons minimum we want to make sure that the prior abuse that was uh uh you know inflicted on us from these small refinery exemptions is finally put to rest we won a court case to to put more guardrails or restraints on EPA with respect to that and we're also looking for EPA to update its assumptions around the life cycle greenhouse gas emissions of ethanol in this RFS proposal they're using an outdated sort of a 2010 2009 model right now corn ethanol has just gotten better more efficient more sustainable, more innovative in that, in that course of time. Our carbon footprint is significantly smaller than what EPA assumes it is. And so we're looking for that to be wrapped into this proposal as well. So a lot at stake for our industry in terms of what the future of biofuel demand will look like in the renewable fuel standard. So
4: how that relationship with the EPA been going recently then? Or is there maybe a little bit more of an understanding going on there, maybe a little bit more of a willingness to kind of listen to what we have to say?
5: Yeah, you know, I would say under either administration there was absolutely a willingness to listen. I think what's been refreshing under uh, this administration is that they quickly turned the page regarding these small refinery exemptions. They made it a priority right out of the chute to say we're not going to be issuing these the way the previous administration did that undermined a lot of our demand and so the fact that the Biden administration is taking a better turn I think on small refinery exemptions has been um, encouraging what we don't yet know as open as they have been uh, as as uh, you know as opportunities to communicate with them have been ample but we really haven't seen what they outline for the future of the RFS, and we know that there's a lot of pressure within the Biden administration to try and electrify everything in the, in the vehicle fleet. That's it's incredibly uh, impossible to do, and so we wanna see sort of a practical commitment to low-carbon biofuels, and the best way this administration can demonstrate that they're gonna make good on that is by issuing strong volumes in this RFS.
4: And then, other than the RFS, you know, what's been the status of E15 and other policies or politics that have been impacting those higher ethanol blends?
5: Yeah, we've really suffered whiplash with respect to E15. We had E15 year-round approved under the Trump EPA. We lost uh, that opportunity then in a in a court battle in 2019. Um, and this summer as gas prices were escalating to record highs president biden issued an emergency waiver thankfully that allowed e15 to be used all around the country uh... over the course of the summer of twenty twenty two so now we find ourselves potentially back into that whiplash situation if we don't rectify uh... the year-round seasonality issue around e15 by june first of twenty twenty three so a couple of things we're working on one we're supporting a request by eight Midwestern governors to EPA to allow E15 year-round in their states. That's, a, that's an important step in the right direction. We appreciate the proactive leadership of these governors, but that's not a nationwide solution. So the second thing we're doing is supporting legislation that is being uh, authored by Senator Fisher of Nebraska to try and accomplish that national permanent solution uh, in law, and so um, whether there's an opportunity during this lame duck Congress, and I think that's that's a small window of opportunity if it is, or next year in the 2023 session, um, we're gonna be looking to advance that so we don't have to kinda keep suffering this whiplash issue with E15.
4: Yeah, and, and with that uh, that summer moratorium for it, I mean, is that really kind of open the door to maybe seeing that continue in, in the future years? I mean, like you said, not just the summer exemption, but for the entire year in general.
5: I think so. The fact that people were able to save so much money at the pump uh, with E15 and they had that, uh, the fact that E15's approved for more than 95% of the cars on the road, um, you know, I think it's unfortunate that we suffered the, the court loss that we did that sort of removed that opportunity, but whether it's this governor's request or legislation, honestly, I do feel um, encouraged and optimistic about our chances to, to make sure that we have uninterrupted access year-round.
4: And then, of course, another uh, policy that's been a hot topic of conversation is that Inflation uh, Inflation Reduction Act. You know, What are some of the benefits that farmers and biofuel producers can see from that legislation?
5: There are incredible amounts of new incentives and tax credits that can benefit farmers and ethanol producers under this legislation that are looking to uh, reduce their carbon footprint. A lot of people don't know this, but corn farming... Corn production is responsible for about half of ethanol's carbon footprint, so activities by farmers relative to conservation tillage, that can help bring down that carbon score, uh, more efficient use of fertilizer, because nitrous oxide emissions from fertilizer use are a big, big part of corn's uh, carbon footprint. So this. Inflation Reduction Act contains billions of dollars that USDA can dole out to farmers to install these practices on their farms. It also contains new tax credits for ethanol producers. Maybe an ethanol producer wants to work his way or her way into the sustainable aviation fuel market, which is a new outlet for ethanol that we anticipate uh, acquiring in the future. There's a new tax credit for that that kicks in in 2023. There's a new clean fuel production tax credit that will reward ethanol and other biofuel producers for their ability to reduce greenhouse gases compared to gasoline. There's $500 million, excuse me, billion, uh, billion dollars in this to uh, help spur uh, the installment of of E15 and E85 infrastructure. So there's a lot to take advantage of in this Inflation Reduction Act, and we're we're working to, to make sure that we do that.
4: Right, and, and speaking of that work, you know, what's some, some more of the, the work the American Coalition for Ethanol has done to really help secure farmers you know, with that access to clean fuel markets and that climate smart agriculture?
5: Yeah, so we talked about the Renewable Fuel Standard, this federal law that's been in place since 2007, but states are taking the initiative to enact their own laws, and these laws are often clean fuel or low carbon fuel standards that increase the demand for low carbon fuels no matter what you know how they're produced, as long as they reduce greenhouse gas emissions compared to gasoline. California has a market for over a billion gallons of ethanol demand, by virtue of their low carbon fuel standard. But as you and I talked earlier, uh, the carbon footprint of ethanol, a lot of that has to do with how that corn is grown, how that corn is produced. And so we've been trying to work with USDA to get some of these tools that they have available for farmers to install uh, conservation tillage or no-till or plant a cover crop in some parts of the country or reduce or, or more efficiently use their fertilizer and we're trying to quantify the greenhouse gas benefits of that so we can create kind of a model that any farmer in any part of the country and any ethanol plant in any part of the country can use to access these clean fuel markets get a premium get paid more for their low-carbon ethanol and that'll increase demand Absolutely, and then our uh Some more of those uh, clean fuel
4: policy efforts, are they going on at state and federal levels as well?
5: You know, the federal level conversation is beginning to pick up, and I think with the new Congress, we're going to see that uh, pick up even more. But the states, you know, it's often said that states are laboratories of democracy, and it's, it's the states where these clean fuel markets have really been stood up. So you have California, Oregon, and Washington that have really taken the lead. But what I'm encouraged by, because there's some things we don't like about the California low carbon fuel standard. to be honest with you is states like minnesota states like nebraska states like illinois states like michigan have been looking at uh, iowa been looking at these policies as well and so i think the more we can get a little midwest flavor on these clean fuel markets and clean fuel policies the 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 better off they will be for farmers and ethanol producers and that's important to inform the discussion uh, as it evolves in washington
4: All right, Brian, well, lots of great information today. For those of our listeners who would like to you know, kind of get in touch and just learn more about what's going on with the American Coalition for Ethanol and and some of the policy efforts going on there,
5: uh, where should they go to find that information? Riley, they can go to ethanol.org and find all that information.
4: That, again, was American Coalition for Ethanol CEO Brian Jennings. And that's it for segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Dustin will wrap up as he talks with American Soybean Association Vice President Daryl Cates. This is Weekend
1: Ag Matters. December is a month that is best enjoyed by sharing time with loved ones and friends while celebrating the holiday season. It is also a time for farmers and producers to review what they have accomplished over the past year and take time to enjoy the holidays. With a long year of challenges to overcome while growing crops and raising livestock, December allows farmers and producers to reflect on what they have learned over the past 12 months and make plans for the future of their farming operations. From all of us at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, have a happy holidays.
0: Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to segment three of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Dustin Huffman. Well, last month I had the chance to talk with American Soybean Association Vice President Daryl Cates. We talked about what they are looking for in the 2023 Farm Bill. Also talking about the new makeup in Congress and what that can mean for the new Farm Bill going forward. And we also talked about his recent trip to Cambodia where he talked with aquaculture producers there about the benefits that they're seeing with soybeans being used as the primary food source. Here's what he had to say. Well, right now we're talking with America Soybean Association Vice President Daryl Cates. He's an Illinois soy- soybean farmer. Daryl, thanks so much for taking the time to visit today.
6: Very good. I'm pleased to be here with you.
0: All right. So, 2022, obviously a challenging year across the board in the country. You know, tell us a little bit about what kind of took away from this growing season.
6: It definitely. It seems like there is not a normal year anymore. It's, every year is another. What challenge are we going to be faced with uh, this year? Uh, we started off uh, uh, wet. I had a wet spring, and uh, then uh, all of a sudden it uh, dried up enough that we got in and started planting. And uh, we did not get uh, very much corn planted in April. Ended up uh, started most of it was planted in May, and finally I decided we were getting close to the June time frame, and I decided to quit planting the corn and went concentrated on uh... going with beans, especially with the nitrogen cost and I didn't want uh... corn pollinating uh... in the heat of the summer by planting in June so we ended up with less acres of corn this year, planted more acres of beans and then uh... things were going along and then all of a sudden when she turned off it got dry and we had a a dry June and the first uh, week and a half of July was dry and then finally we did get a rain that uh, if we wouldn't have got that, our corn crop would have been a disaster. Ended up, We ended up with a little bit below average, probably about a 10 bushel less than normal on our corn yields. Our beans were average to above average this year.
0: Well, that's definitely good news there. But so now we've got to look ahead to 2023. You know, what do producers need to know? What's the uh, Soybean Association working on to, to, to kind of keep the soybeans uh, relevant and growing into the next year?
6: Well, well, one of the big things coming up will be uh, the, the new farm bill. Hopefully we, with the new Congress, uh, you know, we can get that uh, knocked out this year. I mean, I, uh, there's talk that they definitely want to get that done. Um, so... Hopefully that is uh, one of the priorities to get done this year. Uh, one of the issues uh, are in our focus groups is our farmers definitely want to keep the uh, crop insurance in place. It's our big safety net and definitely need to keep that there. Um, another issue is uh, we're hoping to try and convince uh, Congress that uh, agriculture needs a bigger piece of of the pie, uh, and we're being uh, challenged uh, in other uh, countries to be able to uh, try and increase uh, the exports into developing markets and stuff. So we uh, we've kind of been left uh, sitting behind on getting uh, extra funding for doing this, and so that that's some of the things that are looking into.
0: Now, obviously, the Farm Bill, we just heard you know, earlier this week that Republicans did take control of the House. Democrats will have a control of the Senate. Normally, agriculture stuff in the committee is pretty bipartisan. It's more regional than it is party lines. But once you get it into the full House and Senate, that's where things can get a little interesting, especially when people have, you have food stamps and things like that as part of it. How do we make sure that we keep that agriculture piece strong? How do we make sure that we can get to maybe tone down some of the rancor that maybe will go on and make it important that they realize this has to go through for everybody. It doesn't matter what party you belong to.
6: I think that, that it's basically one good thing with our Washington, D.C. staff is that we have good working relationships on both sides and uh, to try and and, uh, and keep those relationships going. The, the thing is that uh, what is very important is I think that they – uh, house uh, on both sides have to realize that I think the country s- tried to tell them that they wanna change and need to be working together and have the better bipartisan. And so that hopefully we, we go forward and can get that done.
0: All right, so now I also understand you were just recently over to Cambodia. Uh, tell us a little about that trip and, and what you were able to take away from that and also share over there.
6: Okay, we have a project uh, over there where we are uh, uh, trying to teach the uh, Cambodian aquaculturist uh, aquaculturists to uh, feed soybean meal pellets to uh, fish, especially a snakehead is uh, the main fish that they're trying to feed. And uh, we are proving to them that they can feed the soybean meal pellets to this uh, snakehead, get it to the market quicker, and as uh, actually a... a uh, healthier fish than what they were feeding it before, where they were making up their own uh, concoctions of, of mixing uh, different things uh, and cooking up uh, uh, a mesh and, um, and stuff to uh, make their food. Uh, it, uh, if the way things are proving out, that we w- visit a, a small uh, fishing village and uh, the head of that village was telling us that he was so impressed. That he has put away his uh, old methods of c- cooking up this food that they, and now is uh, convinced the others in the village that this is the way to go. Uh, if things keep continuing, it looks like uh, in the next 20 years that Cambodia could be self sufficient in raising their own fish because of this project going on.
0: All right. Well, if folks want to learn more about what the American Soybean Association is doing, get in, involved in the topics. Tell us about how they can do that.
6: Well, what they need to do is uh, get a hold of uh, our um, uh, membership. Is uh, is uh, our, in how we work together uh, and get a hold of the American Soybean Association in uh, St. Louis or even our Washington D.C. office to uh, uh, become a member, and uh, that way they uh, will. Be able to help uh, us uh, spread the word to our legislators. Uh, also, we we you can uh, just check us out on our uh, social media and our uh, uh, our website. So to uh, be able to uh, check out what is going on with the. American Soybean Association.
0: That again was American Soybean Association Vice President Daryl Cates, an Illinois farmer here on Weekend Ag Matters. And with that, we are at the end of today's show. Don't forget you can find all our content online at iowaagnet.com. You can follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, and on our YouTube channel. And while you're over there, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell icon so you can be notified every time we publish a new Ag Matters PM program Mondays through Fridays. Also, don't forget about our free twice-daily market podcast. You can find them on Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, and Podbean. For Mark Magnuson, Riley Smith, and Russ Parker, I'm Dustin Huffman. Thanks for tuning in to Weekend Ag Matters here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.